0: Our scripture for today is Matthew, Matthew Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 26. So last week, we saw that uh, Paul was a little bit upset with they, they being the ones that had successfully led the Galatians away from faith in Christ for everything, and they turned back to the law. Now, the, the law thing is a hard application for us today because uh, we Gentiles were not raised in following the law in, in, um, in the way that the Jews were, right? And it wasn't about who we are. It was not about being right with God. It's not about um, heritage and history and all those kind of things. And uh, so we do have a similar type problem that we can sure apply to it. We are definitely into rules. Matter of fact, I think that a lot of evangelical believers struggle with rules, rules, whatever they might be, Uh, rules that uh, just place them, In opposition with other people because of those rules. How you was raised. You were raised to believe certain things. Like you wear a hat in church or you don't. Right? I've witnessed a time or two through the years. People getting really agitated because someone wears a hat in church. Right? And it's a bother. Earrings. Not girls but boys. Boys wearing earrings. That was a real problem. And it became, you know, just a a test of fellowship, a test of friendship. You know, boys don't wear earrings. In some circles in religion, in the evangelical world, uh, you've got a whole denomination where one group, the ladies wear makeup, and then the other group, the ladies don't wear makeup. And I, I, I do believe that ladies should wear makeup. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing. But uh, you probably have seen that taking place where the ladies wear lots of makeup. So much makeup that when they cry, when they are slayed in the spirit, that it runs down. Right? And, and so you, you got uh, no makeup and makeup. My grandmother was a no makeup assembly of God. And she wound her hair so tight on her head, if she smiled, no one could notice. No one could tell. And so rules bring about a security. And that security comes into how you do church, the way you do church, the way it's structured, the way things participate, how people participate, and and uh, it becomes a rule. It becomes something that we hold to, and it's the familiar. It's the, the way we understand it to be, and, and that becomes, honestly, a grace limiter in people's experience, and also a test of fellowship among people. So, when we hear Paul talking about the law, and, and we saw last week that, man, he's really upset about what's happening with the Galatians. And the reason why he's really upset is because he has experienced the good that comes from believing in Christ and living by the Spirit, you see. And so he understands the man of laws the man who understands, the man who knows the burden of religion and how difficult it is to carry around all this religion on his shoulders. And so Paul, when he sees people going back to that religion and those rules that won't produce life and won't produce patience and won't produce love and won't produce joy, man, it bothers him. He's upset about it. You, you may have been to a place for a vacation, and it's just, it just lit your fire. It's the greatest place at all. And, man, you're always telling people about where you went and what you did on your vacation. You, you may have eaten at a restaurant somewhere, and, and you think it's the best food you've ever had. And, I mean, you just, you just, when someone talks about eating out somewhere, says, man, you've got to try this place. You're animated about it. You get all worked up about it. You really want people to go eat there because of your experience that you had there. You see, that's really what Paul is dealing with here. His experience with Christ through the Holy Spirit is so spectacular that he wants everyone to have that experience. And that's the way Jesus is. Uh, Susan Brewer often tells a story that she didn't like me very much before Christ. When anybody ever asked, just the other day, we were out somewhere and, and, and people asked, how did y'all get together? She's, she always starts with, well, I really didn't like him very much. And matter of fact, she's, she probably hated the very existence of my being, most likely. And, but the truth of the matter is, before Jesus, I didn't like me very much. Didn't like me at all. But you know what? I didn't know I didn't like me until Christ But I didn't like me, and and when I came to know Jesus and I began to experience something way different than my life, man, I I wasn't going back. I just wasn't retreating. I wasn't going back to that old Lee. And today, if 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 man, I am in the flesh, you know, if I'm not living by the Spirit, stepping with the Spirit, and 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 participating in what I need to participate. When I leave out prayer, when I leave out Bible study, when when I'm not obedient, I don't like me. I I laugh sometimes when people say, we don't like you very much. You know, I really don't like me very much either. I've never really liked me, but I didn't know I didn't like me until I was saved. And when Jesus came to my life, I realized, I I just don't like me. I don't like what I do. I don't like what I think. I don't like how I treat people. I don't like that, that I'm a... Don't care much about stuff. You know, I don't like that. I like what Jesus has done in me. And so, I, I want you to have a better you. I really want you to have a better you. And you might like you without Christ. You might be okay. You might be all good and those kind of things. But without Christ, I I have an understanding of how much better it can be. And so, yeah, that's, I get that. I get Paul's, Paul's spirit and what he wants. And he, he begins here by saying in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is a clear statement. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the The desires of the flesh, and it's the desires of the flesh that causes the pain in life always. So if you'll walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do to keep you from the things you want to do verse 18 but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident means they can be clearly seen the works of the flesh evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of rank, fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like these i warn you as i warned you before that those who do such things Will not inherit the kingdom of God. But. The fruit of the spirit. Is love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. And he says against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the very first thing that I think is... Perhaps the most important part of the Scripture today, definitely the catalyst for the rest of the teaching here is, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says in verse 28, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul addresses three actions that we do with the Holy Spirit. We walk by the Spirit, and to walk by the Spirit means choices and thoughts, how we live. We live by the Spirit means choices and directions, and we keep in step with the Spirit. That means that we abide with the Holy Spirit. So we, we live by the Spirit, we walk by the Spirit, and we keep in step with the Spirit. And Paul says that if we keep in step with the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the sinful nature that we have. We will not gratify our flesh. If we live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, if we keep in step with the Spirit, we will not be controlled by our nature, by our flesh. But we'll be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Because literally that's what it means when you think about walking, living by the Spirit, and keeping in step with the Spirit. It means being controlled by the Spirit. Paul said another way in Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that also means that we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Living by the Spirit is better than living by the law. That's what he's saying here. If we live by the Spirit, if we keep in step with the Spirit, if we walk in the Spirit, it's a better life. It's a much better life. If It's a fun life. There, there's nothing more fun than to walk in a room and have the mindset, let's see what the Lord does today with these folks. That's a fun thing. That's a lot better than walking to a room and, you know, taking inventory of what people are doing or not doing. That's the law. Keeping up with people's sins and, and failures. That's the law. But to walk into a situation and be grace-minded, be love-minded, be forgiveness-minded, and just have the mindset, let's see what the Holy Spirit is up to. You have a problem. Instead of retreating, which the law would cause us to do, you you, you you are outside thought, you're outside thinking, and the idea is, what's the Lord going to do in this problem? How is he going to handle it? How is he going to show up in this problem and make himself known? That's living by the Spirit. It's a lot better than living by the law. And so Paul says, here's the deal. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh Because your mind and your heart is focused on something else. He says in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's the Romans 7 thing that Paul talks about. Paul says man I wake up in the morning. And I really want to do the right thing. I wake up in the morning. And I really want to keep my commitments. I want to keep my vows. I want to be true to the Lord. And before I know it, I'm, I've lost my way again. Before I know it, this happens, that happens. And I'm upside down. I'm not doing the things I want to do. That's what the flesh does. The flesh is always going to take us down. The spirit is always going to take us up. And so Paul says here you got to understand this you you got to get this picture you got to understand that living by the law is not going to produce what you really want living by the law is going to always manufacture and multiply the things that you're against and you got to stay true to the spirit and there's a struggle taking place there is a struggle Do you see that? The spirit is against the flesh and the flesh is against the spirit. And so there is a struggle. There's a struggle in every believer between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to say this again at the end because I think it's really important to remind everyone. Rejoice if you're experiencing struggle. Be really concerned. I mean, really concerned. Be concerned to the point that you don't go to bed tonight until this matter is settled. If you're not struggling between his spirit and your flesh in you, there's a real problem with your salvation. Fact is, if there's no struggle, there is no salvation. The good news is, if there is struggle in you, there is salvation. But if there's not really a struggle, Between your flesh and your spirit, there's a problem. And you need to settle that. And the Lord, I guarantee you, he's speaking to you. And he's calling you to himself. Isn't that what it says in verse 17? The desires of flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. So good news is, if you're in the struggle, if you do struggle... Praise the Lord, you are a child of God, because you're either struggling or you're not. If, if doing the wrong thing never matters to you, there's not a struggle. That's what Paul is saying here. One of my favorite servers of the Lord when I was growing up and in my development time was a man named Avery Willis. And, and, and I got to hear Avery Willis when I was in seminary. I got to hear Avery Willis at conferences and stuff like that. I, I just really liked the way he preached. It spoke to me. It wasn't his method. It was just his walk with the Lord. He just, he said things that I could resonate with. He said things that would really help me. And, and he, to me, I mean, I did struggle with not having that guy up on a pedestal. Really an amazing man. When he was a younger man, he and his wife went to Indonesia and they were missionaries in Indonesia. And in Indonesia, there was hardly any people coming to Christ according to their documents and things they wrote. And, and it was a real burden on the missionaries that were there. And so all the missionaries got together and they planned out this retreat. And he said they went up into this mountain and had a, had a little retreat-like setting. And and he said they just prayed. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And it was... it it brought them together, it caused them to be a team, it caused them to have a spiritual hunger like perhaps not before. And and when they went back down from the mountain to minister again and to to preach and to witness and to teach people and to try to do all they were doing to reach people for Christ, in a two-year period of time, they saw a million people come to Christ. And, and they wrote about that. That's quite an extraordinary moving of the Holy Spirit. And, and he was part of that. And, and it, it's, it was the catalyst. If you've ever heard of a, a discipleship program called Master Life, it came out of that experience because he said we had, to, we had to put materials in people's hands so they could train these new believers. And so he sat down and, and penned out the study Master Life. And it kind of was for a long time the Cadillac next to the Bible. The Bible is the best discipleship material. and uh, But it really has discipled many, many people through the years. I read an article about him many, many years ago. And I haven't ever forgotten it. It's a comfort to me. It's an encouragement to me. And at the end of the conference, the man who was writing this story said that he walked up to Dr. Willis and said, "Uh, you know, Dr. Willis, can, can you tell me what there is in the Christian life that you struggle with? Good, great question, isn't it? What do you struggle with, Dr. Willis? Now remember, I've got him up here. And when I first read it, I remember thinking, he didn't struggle with much. He had it all down. And the writer said, That Avery Willis sat down with him and said, two struggles that are killing me. He said, there are other struggles I've got, but there's two that I just can't get away from. Now remember, this is the guy that prayed and a million people are saved. Prayed with others. This is a guy that wrote Master Life. This is a guy the Lord has used to travel the world, developing believers and teaching preachers and, and seeing souls come to Christ. I mean, this, this is a Mickey Mantle of the outfield. This guy can play, right? This is Joe Montana in the fourth quarter. Avery Willis can play. That's what I'm thinking. He said, the first one is, Pride. Pride. I struggle with pride, he said. Hmm. Can you explain that? The writer said. He said, Well, I find myself not able to get out of the way of the Lord. And I read this and go, He he's the he's the teacher on prayer. He's the guy that knows all the prayers in the New Testament. He's the guy that has all this awareness and all this understanding of the Lord and how the Lord works. And he struggles with pride. Hmm. That's fascinating to me. He said, yeah, he said, man, I I just have a hard time getting out of the way. And and he, he said, you know, after I wrote Master Life, I just wanted to control it. I wanted to control how it was published, how it was put together, what kind of uh, a vehicle they would use to put that book out there. Would it be a pamphlet type thing? Would it be wire bound? Would it be hardback? How would they do that? He said, I, I was horrible to our publishers. And he said, man, the Lord broke me one day of all that pride that I had about my work. And he said, it's not even my work. It's the Lord. The Lord did all that. And he says, I'm ashamed to tell you that I struggle with pride. I struggle to get out of the way. And then he said, the second struggle I have is this. When I was a missionary, me and my wife were missionaries in Indonesia. He said, one of the other missionaries called and said, I need to come see you. He said, Okay. And so the missionary goes over there and he says, can, can we sit outside for a little while? He said, sure. He said, he said to him, he said, this is very hard on me, Avery, to talk to you about this. But, but I just feel like I've got to tell you something that I think maybe you're blind to or you don't see, don't see. And he said, what is that? He said, it's horrible how you treat your wife. He said, we all see it. He said you're rude to her you're cynical you're critical of your wife and he said you back your wife in a corner all the time and and you're not you're not showing the younger people around you what it means to love your wife like Jesus loves the church and and the writer said that, that Dr. Willis put his head down he could see shame he said do you love your wife He said, I do love my wife. Well, why do you treat her like that? Have you ever thought about y'all argue all the time? And you treat her like she has no good ideas. You treat her like she's not part of your team. Do you really think that you would be able to maintain here and persevere here without your wife? And Dr. Willis shook his head and said, no, I don't believe that at all well, you need to treat your wife better. She needs to know that you love her because we don't think you love her by the way you treat her. And Avery Willis said that when that friend, when that friend left his house, he was up all night long he was just, just moved in his spirit. And he said, how could I be so blind to something that's so obvious? He said, the next day, his wife said, what did so-and-so come over for? He said, well, sit down, need to talk to you. And he said, I just poured my heart out. And he said, I don't know why I do the things I do. I don't know why I treat you the way I treat you. But I do know that I have not been treating you the way I should. And I love you with all my heart. But obviously, no one can see it because of the, the words I say to you and how I say it to you. And, and honey, I just want you to forgive me. I'm so sorry. And Dr. Willis says, it was the beginning of rebuilding their marriage because that man came over and talked to him. And he said, I did. I was not aware that I was so in trouble with that struggle of strife with my wife. Now, the lesson I want to point out to you is if Avery Willis is not a believer, none of us are. If Avery Willis was not filled with the Spirit, I don't think anybody can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, Avery Willis was the guy for me in reading. Shook hands with him once. That's it. That's it. I I didn't have a nerve back then to say, you want to have coffee? I wish now I'd have said, you want to have coffee? I'll buy you. I ain't got any money, but I'll buy you two coffees. I wish I'd have said something. I didn't because he wanted to be around other people, not me. And if I don't really like me yet, he's not going to like me, you know. I'm still developing all that. And so, um, if he struggled, then we're going to struggle. But the good news is, we struggle. Do you catch that? Do you understand that? That's really important. So, if you're beating yourself up because you struggle, flip that over. And rejoice because you struggle. Because it's a sign of you're born again. And then in verse 19, in verse 19 he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, they can be clearly seen. So here's the deal as we go through this and we look at these scriptures here, this deal, ask yourself the question. Which category am I controlled by? Am, am I controlled by the evident things of the production of the flesh? Am I controlled by the things that, that clearly points out that the flesh is in control of me? Or is there a struggle and I am controlled by the things that the Spirit produces? And, and that's what he's doing here for him. He's laying it out there for him. He's saying, we're going to make a list here, and you're going to see clearly one subject and the other subject, what the, Holy, what the Holy Spirit does and what your flesh does. And he begins with the flesh. And he says, the works of the flesh are evident. And he lists them in four categories here. The first category we have is the sensual category. And he says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality he said those sins are present they're very evident in someone that is living according to the flesh in other words no struggle yet and then he gives the religious category idolatry and 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 sorcery that's religious in nature idolatry you know what that is. sorcery would be uh the horoscope it would be a palm reader It would be someone that can read the future, right? Those kind of things. It would depend upon spiritualism. Or today, the big heading is folk religion. And many people believe that folk religion, F-O-L-K, folk religion, is the largest religion in the world. It's just not categorized. They don't meet together. But they're believing in superstition. They're believing in the calendar. They're believing in... Agriculture. They're they're believing in the sun. They're believing in the moon, and all these kind of things. And it's just categorized in folk religion, religious sins, and then we have people sins: enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and the word envy. Very very interesting to have jealousy and envy to have strife and enmity because they're all very close related and to me it's like paul was wanting to you know dot every i and cross every t here and lay it out these are the evident works of the flesh you don't like yourself because of who you are other people most likely don't really care for you much either because At least one, if you're in the flesh, you have not received Christ, you're in the flesh. Or you have received Christ and the struggle is lopsided between the flesh and the spirit. You're probably annoying in one of these sins. Relationships are not strong because of strife, jealousy. You don't get along with a group of people because you're jealous of them. And, and this is what is your makeup. This is what's going on. And then you've got the social sins. Drunkenness and orgies. Very interesting pieces of words there. And then he says, here's what I want you to understand. Because he says, I warn you. And then he says, as I warned you before. So this is not new for Paul. This is really important to Paul. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That that is warn-worthy, isn't it? That is warn-worthy. So not only is he saying Galatians, don't live by the law after you come to Christ. Don't return to it. But he's saying, don't live by the law thinking it's going to provide for you eternal life. So here's what Paul is saying here. If there's not a struggle, we will not inherit, inherit the kingdom of God we will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is plainly laid out there, isn't it? That's what it says. And then he goes on, and and I'm going to move along so that we can put these together here, because that's important to understand, because if you do any of these sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That negates the struggle that he talked about early. So, we got to come back to that to get that what I believe is true understanding of what Paul's laying out here for us. He says, however, but the fruit in that singular, which is very interesting, isn't it? The fruit, the result of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what the Holy Spirit produces. These sins that were categorized into four areas is what the flesh develops produces and then this is what the Holy Spirit produces he says in verse 24 and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires so the questions that perhaps you want answered can a drunk go to heaven can a drunk go to heaven The answer is yes. Now, the answer is no, if the drunk is still a drunk, and there's no attempt to not be a drunk, because with the Holy Spirit in someone's life, there is confession, there is acknowledgement of sin, and there is repentance. Now, the drunk may struggle, but yes, they can be born again. If Christ is coming to them, the Holy Spirit lives in them, they are going to work to not be a drunk. They may struggle along the way because if Avery Willis struggled, we all struggle, even the drunk. And so the drunk has the same struggle that Avery Willis had. And in God's perspective, Avery Willis struggling with pride is equal to the drunk struggling with drink. That we need to see it that way. The law doesn't see it that way. The law categorizes sins as some are greater than others. But a drunk can be saved. Can an adulterer be saved? The answer is yes. Now, if they're still out there catting around, no. If there is no repentance, if there is no sorrow, if there is no acknowledgement of their problem... Adulterer cannot be saved, will not be saved, will not inherit the kingdom of God if there is no struggle. Can the homosexual be saved? Yes. But the same principles apply. There is an understanding that their sexuality is wrong, it is a sin against God, and, and they're repenting. They're trying, they're working, they're they're learning a new way of living, and they're trying to live differently than they live. But if there is no shame in that sin, same with a drunkard, if there's no shame in that sin, then they're not born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them because there's no struggle. Can a jealous person be saved? Same is true. Same thing is true. And so you can take all these sins in all four categories and you can apply it like that. Yes, a sexually immoral person can be saved. A sexually impure person can be saved. A person that is struggling with idolatry and sorcery and, and, and jealousy and strife and enmity and all the other sins, yes, they can be saved if indeed they've been born again and they have the Holy Spirit in them, and the same is true for every one of those folks and every one of those sins manifesting themselves in their flesh, the struggle takes place. Now, the thing that the Lord does, it says here in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the, co- the control or the hold that the flesh has over that person has been broken. And it opens a door to repentance, to confession, to living for Christ that wasn't there before. And so for us believers, we've got to understand that some struggle less than others. Some struggle more than others. But they're child children of God. And so it's not about how much they struggle. It's about, do they struggle? That's really the question that we need to consider. So, in your own world, in your own life, individually, do you struggle? Do you struggle between the flesh and the spirit? Do you struggle? That's what Paul is teaching here. That's what it says. And as plainly as I can I want you to see what Hawaii's like. Let me tell you something, y'all. I've been there. Hawaii is spectacular. I want you to go to Hawaii. Let me tell you something. The water feels perfect in the morning, or the evening, or the afternoon. The water is absolutely perfect. You can see fish. You can see. Sharks, if you're willing, to go the right places. I mean, I have, I have gone down to the bottom and been surrounded by black fish, yellow fish, purple fish, striped fish, zebra fish, and that state fish, that hanuhuahadahidahara fish that they love so much. It's ugly, but they love that fish for some reason. Unbelievable. Turtles, I have been down and just seen turtles just come by and say, what's up, Lee? Not much, man. How you doing? Just right All right. We swam with probably 50 or 60 dolphins. Unbelievable. Listen, Hawaii is the best place in the world that I've ever been. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Not as good as Jesus. Not as good as Jesus. I want you to have the best life possible. I want you to have more fun than you've ever had. I want you to have an exciting life. And my experience is, and obviously Paul's experience is, it happens when you walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit by abiding in Him. Let's worship. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We're thankful for your love for us. Just guide and lead us, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you every single day. Thank you for the words that show us how wonderful it is to live by the Spirit and the fruit, the fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of faithfulness, the fruit of patience and peace and gentleness. How wonderful those fruit are in our life. And thank you, Lord, that it's by your spirit we rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.